also historically they'll be very important in uh, perspective of the whole color that's going on. It'll like really show the beginning of this. Well, a lot of people saw those, you see. Yeah, but a lot of people haven't, and I think... No, no, but I mean at the time they did have an effect on people like Esther Bubbly and uh, uh, Red Hair, who worked for Fortune. A lot of people, this uh, uh, guy from City Service. Nick Perino. Nick Perino. I mean, lots of, lots of hundreds of people went up and down the college saw. Now, I can't find any direct things excepting people like Red Hair. Or, or like who? Red Hair. He's a guy that worked for uh, Fortune magazine and for one of the picture agencies. He used to be in Pittsburgh. Roy used him. Then I think he went down to Houston or something like mm. that, or Dallas. Um, there, there were very direct connections. I can't remember there was some photographer who lived in Jersey, a Jewish photographer. That Not Ed Roskin? No, no, no. Uh, younger guy. Not Saul Lipson or something? Saul Lipson, yeah. Very influential on Saul Lipson. Now, he may not even remember it, but he saw those pictures. We were friends. What, like the In Search of Myself, you mean? Yeah, well... Or those other... The other oh, group. whole thing, yeah. Whole thing. I mean, I've got some slide carousels. I used to have a LaBelle thing with two big, you know, cartridges where the thing dropped. And some of them are, are mounted in uh, glass because I was showing them so much. Yeah, you have some of those really heavy metal right. uh, aluminum or something around. Right. right. really way of time. And I burned up so many things because the projectors were so crappy, they burned up my slides. So you, when you see a blue, a, you know, Kodachrome slide means it was a duplicate of something. Uh, it was disastrous, the whole thing, in a sense. I mean, I kept spending money, you know. I was already in debt, but I kept spending this money because I was in pursuit of an idea. And having the prints made, even, was... Well, that was only for a show, occasionally. I didn't, couldn't go to the prints excepting for shows. And then never sold any. Excepting in Detroit, where again that was a disaster. The goddamn prince faded within a year. So uh, that's uh, the sad thing. And then I'm sad about them scattered all over the place. Library of Congress, Wisconsin Historical Museum. <laughs> You know, Detroit Museum <laughs> Water Art. And I never did make, you know, prints as such, you know, in great quantities of the same thing. I made a print and sent it to Museum Water Art or something, and that was that. Mm -hmm. There was no way I could survive at any point selling prints. It was, that's only within the past five years that anybody could. Did you ever, when you, in your travels to New York, did you ever stop in at a place called Image Gallery? A guy named Larry Larry Siegel actually uh, ran no. in the late, I late 50s. Been, I haven't been Image Gallery. Late 50s. It was on 10th Street. Had a show of Gene Smith once. He had a show of uh, um, Ann Trier. He had a show of uh, I think some matches he got from Bernice and, mm -hmm. and Bernice. And he only was there for about three years. No. And Charlie Charles Pratt was associated with that. Mm -hmm. No, I never. I, I may have even gone into the place, but I have no memory of that. I would mainly go see, at that period, Charlie Egan's gallery, where Aaron, uh, I mean, he was a good friend of Egan, he'd come here, and 
good friend. By that I mean he knew me, I knew him. He used to come to Chicago and visit some friends and try and peddle some pictures. He was broke as hell. You could buy de Kooning's for 300 bucks. Jackson Pollock's, uh, you know, of course, still very cheap. Could you visit the Limelight Cafe? No, no, no. No, Erin, I think, had some pictures with her, Helen Gee. Right. I knew about it, but uh, I don't know. I was... I was... I... I uh, it just wasn't part of that. It was con connection with a restaurant. It didn't seem very serious to me, as a lot of people are making it out now. Uh, maybe it was. Um, and probably, you know, had some effect on the New York scene. But if you look at New York, mm -hmm. you see, there's a total absence of interest in photography. What about the the things that, uh, for better or worse, that Ivan Dmitri was associated with, the photography and yeah, the, the fine arts? arts right. right. Well, I sent the two of them, and uh, I think Harry sent the one. I can't remember. And uh, he did show my pictures, sent them around. In fact, that's where... He did something, he asked my permission, I was just delighted to give it to him, except I didn't get any money out of it. Uh, the red uh, door and green wall, mm -hmm. which is at the Boston, I think the Metropolitan, he had some beautiful dye transfers made, the kind I always wanted, large size, and professionally masked. See, I never had that luxury. And I'm sure, you know, if today I could get somebody to back it to that size and that quality, I mean, we could have a hell of a show. Mm -hmm. I mean, really a hell of a show. Mm -hmm. Which is different from having a book where, you know, great quantities. I mean, you could almost now do a whole book, you know, showing a large quantity of color pictures, 125 or something, mm -hmm. with some, somebody smart writing an essay. Writing an essay about your work and also showing a chronology of the development of color could be interesting as an appendix in the back. Because yeah, well, then it would really put your work into perspective, especially the innovative quality of it and you know the freshness of it when you were doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you wanted to ask about... The ball in my court? About the, well, I was thinking that the role of the whole question of Irene and her commitment to art is an interesting side issue here to explore yeah. a little bit, maybe. Well, this comes out of my own interest. This is the woman's, Eileen Lane's uh, well, particular interest. I wouldn't. Well, I think it's an interest that I think it would be. What's well, like that? I think it has a lot of appeal, though. I think it, it is kind of amazing that you've had a very successful marriage with a person right. like Irene. Irene was much younger than I, you know, which was raise certain problems with friends and everything. It was very difficult for her to uh, cope with in the early days. And then we had three children and she was very busy. But I, I encouraged her to work. To do her own work. To do her own work. And as, as the kids began to get beyond the age of five, she then did begin to work in a you know, somewhat sustained way. But the times have changed again. I mean, Irene today, if the same situation would occur, I think would have been really super frustrated by all the work she had to do. Now, if you're very rich, 
you know, possibly one can then delegate or split some of these uh, responsibilities for housekeeping and cooking and so on. Uh, I doubt, I don't know how much cooking Virginia Woolf did, but she had no children. You know, her husband took care of her, and uh, when she was sick, you know, he was understanding and uh, had a lot of friends. Uh, Irene learned a great deal uh, in, those, in that early period, I think, from me and from my friends. Uh, we had, Aaron was a good friend, and we always kind of took care of Aaron. Uh, Harry was a friend, so, uh, but she, actually, uh, I always laugh, you know, Irene tried to do photography with my 4x5 Zierdorf and the tripod and, you know, big black focusing cloth, and I would say Irene is not a mechanical person, she does not have a high mechanical aptitude, but she's very meticulous and very free mentally in a way that I'm not. I mean, she has a direct line and always has to her unconscious uh, that is very different than my line of my unconscious. Uh, she reaches different kinds of level. I'm surprised what comes out of her in her drawing. And I think it's interesting that so many people imitating, have imitated her artwork. Like, uh, there have been people that have been influenced. Uh, she hits at something that's quite deep and quite valid and has grown consistently. And uh, now that the children, you know, since the children grew up, I think, you know, she's committed a great deal of energy and time. And also the teaching is very important because it made her codify and make conscious some of the ideas that uh, were just sort of inchoate floating around. Irene knows as much about modern drawing, I think, as anybody around. Certainly more than people, some people that are, uh, you know, teaching or curating. She also knows a great deal about watercolor, and she's done all these things. She's painted, done watercolor, but her main fantastic strength, I think, is uh, she's a consummate uh, draft person as a result of drawing since she was, you know, maybe eight or ten years old, a great deal. And drawing is that kind of thing. Um, I think you could, you know, we've had our ups and our downs, but I've never... Uh, had an affair with another woman in all the time we've been married. Uh, you know, one could question that statement, but that's for what it is. Uh, it's true that I've liked some other women, you know, admired them or lusted after them, as Carter would say. <laughs> Definitely. Well, that's part of that. I, mean, I didn't check in, you know, uh, my feelings towards women. I like women. Uh, I like men too, uh, as friends, but I, my sexual preferences have always been clearly heterosexual. Um, have there ever been drawbacks, um, in the sense, or jealousies between you and Irene about either your career escalating or her career ex escalating? Yeah, I've been furious because I uh, make a certain amount of money every week. I mean, I never, the only time in my life that I really photographed absolutely freely for myself was when I was in Europe in 54, making my, my mind whether to marry Irene or uh, Elsa. But uh, we traveled around and I just photographed for myself and I enjoyed it. But I never had that privilege 
before or after. I mean, I've been supporting, you know, helping support either my family in Detroit or somebody. And that's a great disadvantage. You see, that's the advantage, for instance, Aaron never had any children. Harry had one child, and all along, Eleanor's work. Harry's had a tremendous amount of freedom. And then when I got him this job, he was totally relieved to see it working for in any way, accepting in this free fashion. It's a very definite problem if you want to be a great artist. It's going to make it tougher because your time is going to be involved. I mean, if you have kids, I believe you should try and relate to them. I haven't done a very good job of it as I should have because I was working hard. And that takes energy, that takes time. I mean, there are, you know, hundreds of nights that I was up in the dark room there developing, printing, getting things out, or going off to some silly place. Uh, no, it's very, uh, it's a problem right now. I notice, you know, a shift, the selfishness of, we were talking about, you know, getting married, that's a responsibility, because you don't do it. Even if you know you can get divorced, it's a different kind of relationship than not being married. And if you have kids, that complicates things no end. If you have any, if you have a Jewish conscience, and that's changing too, uh, it, it makes a great deal of difference. I mean, I feel a great responsibility and think about it, and I'm very worried because I'm ill of what's going to happen, uh, you know, to Ezra and, uh, and Adam. I'm not worried about Julie. She's got a clear shot. She went through University of Chicago, and if she wants to be a poet and writer, that's part of her maturity. She has to work it out. We'll try and help her in any way we can, but I don't feel responsible for her in the same way that I do Ezra, 17. I mean, he's not capable. He hasn't even grown up. Uh, it's very, very complicated. Now, somebody like Paul Caponegra, I guess, doesn't, is neither married nor has kids. Is that right? He was married and does have children, but he's now divorced. Yeah, but he's living down in Santa Fe alone, isn't he? No, yeah, yeah. It's just, that's, that's a recent development. Right, I know, but that's when it's been very fruitful. If he wants to go to Stonehenge, he goes to Stonehenge. Whereas, you know, if you're not, if you're married, uh, maybe going to Stonehenge is interrupted by the fact that your wife is ill or your kids need you for some reason. Um, it, it's a, it's, it's definitely, now see, Fred Summers is a good case in point, excellent case. Fred Summers is a child, his wife takes care of him, she's devoted her whole life to being exploited by Fred Summers, if you want to talk in contemporary terms. In terms of her own desires, I don't know. Maybe she got a tremendous kick by being affiliated, you know, with Fred Summers, who's become famous. But, you know, you would only know by really talking to her for a long time what her frustrations are. And when you interviewed Fred, I don't know if you talked to his wife. Mm -hmm. And did. what did she say? And remember that she probably lied too. Well, she she said that you know, her thing to me was as long as she could do her sociology, and that is her background, and she did have. Well, she's a social worker. Now. Social worker. Yeah, that's very different. Well, she was a social worker, but she really enjoyed it, and she was always able to find interesting jobs in the county. She said that did fulfill her. Yeah. As as a person, I mean, she did. I did talk to her about that. On the other hand, I really got angry at Fred because he is so negative about so many people and so many things. And I said to him, 
you're really unrealistic. I said, you have lived in utopia all your life. You didn't have to work. You could read all the books. You can do anything you want. And you come down, you're so hard on people. And I said, Fred, you're not looking at it you know, in a realistic sense. Very few people have lived the life that you have led. And when you expect everyone else to have done what you're, you're doing, you're, you're, being, you're, you're kidding yourself. And I said, second of all, somebody could really get back on you because you haven't maybe even done enough for having all that free time. That's right. For all the care and love that he got mad. Summers got, you know, his offering is so small. He got mad at me. And he said, you're not understanding my health. I said, I am understanding your health. But I'm throwing back into your face what you're throwing at other people. And I said, and then, you know, he kind of calmed down and we continued. But getting back to yours and Irene's situation, um... Do you feel that your career development have complemented one another's growth? Seagull's number one law, everything's related. Yes, everything that I did helped Irene, and everything Irene did has widened my horizons. There are many areas of her work I don't understand, and I don't, uh, I'm not involved with, uh, you know, I was much more active in her growth earlier, but now she's a big girl, you know, and she's found her way, and uh, I think she's just terrific. But, but she's a little unrealistic too in the past, you know, of exposing her work, and now she's shifting a little bit. She's going to have a show, you know, Young Hoffman Galleries in April, and I'm sure it'll be wonderful. Now, whether that produces any money, who knows? But we've never operated that way. See, we know all kinds of artists, so-called, who are out to make money. That's a different goal than either one of us ever had as art. I mean, as making money, you know, when I did a job, yes, I was delighted. But I've never confused about what was going on. You know, uh, apart from, from the money thing, in terms of knowing other artists, I wondered if, for example, the relationship with someone like Red Grooms came out of Irene's involvement initially, or no, we are one of the big way stops for New York artists. That uh, there are a lot of people you see that are. That I never, they're never involved with photographers like Lucy Lepard and I, we are very dear friends. Because we haven't really mentioned too much in the tape how these people come into your life, kind of. You know. Well, they're coming through friends. I mean, whether it's Yvonne Rayner. Red Rooms, staying here when he was doing working on the Chicago project. Lucy and was here last year. Lucy's been here every year, I think, for the past. Well, for example, years. Red Rooms. I mean, yeah. you met him through a mutual friend, and originally. Well, yeah, probably uh, Funkin was a good friend of ours, so when he was here, he, uh, I don't remember exactly. We we met him, and they would come over from. They lived fairly near here, and I think we helped get him a place to stay. So they, they would come over here and we'd yak and drink and whatnot. And it's always been a kind of a pleasant thing for bright artists. We, do, we don't deal with dopes. We avoid them. We really do. I mean, if that's elitist, that's the way it is. <laughs> Simply because we have too much to do. We, we have been busy for the you know, past 23 years, <laughs> 40 years. We've never had enough time to do what we wanted to. So our friends were really by choice. 
Um, earlier, by reading in the first days, I we used to do a lot of entertaining, but they weren't photographers. Aaron's the only one that really came over here all the time and you know would eat and that kind of thing. But uh, mainly, it's been artists and uh, politicians. Don Netz is a very dear friend, and Sidney Yates. The but it's been a, they've asked they I've done them as much good as they'll ever do me. In fact, they've never done me any good at all. You know, in an exploitive way. I've never, never had that relationship with any of these people. And I've, you know, well, we used to go to Pete Peterson's house all the time. We, the Secretary of Commerce, you know, his head of Lehman Brothers, those, you know, involved in Bell and Howell. Uh, I did Percy's, you know, uh, Rockefeller, Jay Rockefeller's wedding. Um, the artists, uh, I introduced, for instance, um, oh, Richter, when he showed his film, Dreams That Money Can Buy, at the University of Chicago, and somewhere in the early, late 40s, I'm the guy that introduced Richter at the University of Chicago. Because I can't remember how, maybe it was through Henry Schumann, I don't remember. But he came to our house, you know, and uh, they, we talked about movies and that kind of thing. Um, but Bucky Fuller was a very dear friend. And he was at the Institute of Design. We'd go out and eat. Conrad Waxman, we used to go to his house. You know, he's an engineer, great engineer. He'd come here. Um, we were good friends. I mean, they could call upon us to do things in a pinch. Um, yeah, well, that gives a the flavor of it, you know, for sure. Well, and then it went on, you know, kept going on. I, I actually made, uh, well, I don't know, artists seem to come here because it's a non-judgmental thing, but we make the choice of who comes here. And very little of it has to do, see, I've never played, really played the political game, like with Jack Capes and the clients. I mean, if I'd worked on these art directors the way he did, could have gotten a lot more jobs, mm -hmm. but never did. That's um, what you had him do. It is yeah, that's what was his job. And with the time life thing, there were a lot of political aspects to that, but we never, you know, exploited that. We were friends of some people at time because mm -hmm. they were legitimate people, not what they could do for us. So ultimately, that was the reason I quit doing the advertising, for instance. I mean, the actual incident was there was a little stinker at um, Leo Burnett. Uh, I had been doing a lot of work for them, and I got an assignment to uh, make some ads for Brown Shoe Company for the uh, for some children's ads. So he, um, I got together about eight kids and had them fitted with shoes, and then got them together. And then I had them climb trees and run through mud, you know, and I'm on my belly. And I thought I made some marvelous pictures. Well, I showed, get delivered these things, made some prints, and this little creep said he didn't like them. So I said, okay, I'll do them again. And I don't know if you know what trouble it is to get eight kids at 12 o'clock and fit them with shoes in the middle of the week, you know, in between the school time or something. So I did it again. Uh, he didn't like him again. 
and then I didn't, I, I, think, I think I did it a third time, and I gave the picture to Jack Capes, the proofs, and the negative, and said, you know, I didn't have anything to do with them. Well, about six months later, I'm walking down Michigan Avenue, which is the place where advertising people walk around the Wrigley Building, and a, an agent that had worked for Jack and then went off on his own and liked me, came up and said, congratulations. I said, what for? He says, don't you know that your ad for the brown shoe won the gold medal or first prize of the best product ad of the year? <laughs> this little son of a bitch, you know, didn't have the grace to tell me that in that first batch that I'd made prints of, of the mud, you know, splashing real close up on the motor, or climbing the trees so it shows kind of scuffing, he didn't have the grace to tell me that. Oh, it just made me mad. And, you know, when I saw all the things that were going around, you know, bribing art directors and buying them drinks and dinners and trips and luggage at Christmas time, you know, and uh, cases of whiskey, it just, I wanted to throw up. So I went then more towards what remained of my journalistic career and began to drop the advertising, which is very much the lucrative area. That's mm -hmm. the big money, is The yeah. big money. You can make, you know, in an afternoon, 2000 bucks, 5000 bucks in journalism. It's $100 a day and forever. Well, 150 $100 at that point, you know, 150 The thing, they used your picture, but you never got any money for it, or... Well, of course I got money for it. What do you mean? Oh, I, th I thought... Jack Wait. Capes had got paid for it. Jack Capes was the one that always got oh, okay. paid. He took his uh, third, okay, and uh, that was it. I wouldn't even know what they were. I didn't want to know at that point I was so mad at him because I knew I'd made some wonderful pictures. Just what he wanted. But he was trying, he was a real small little shrimp. And I think that was his problem. But he's since, you know, going on to great fame. He probably gets, you know, $125,000 now. It's a very corrupt area. Yeah, you also said something about traveling, too, was getting very wearing. Yeah, it was getting tiring. I mean, one of the other things was I kept waking up and not knowing where I was at. You said that yesterday. Yeah, and so I'd look at the telephone in this motel and uh, find out where I was at. Uh. Hmm. Another area of interest is the Museum of Contemporary Art. I'm aware of the history of the establishment of the Museum of Contemporary Art. Uh, I wondered if, when the Museum of Contemporary Art was being established, I'll look at the meets the wrong Were you mean? in on any of the sessions? Aaron was in on it all along. I got reports from Aaron and what was going on that. I didn't want to get involved with that kind of thing. Uh, I have advised some of the people involved with that. Jan Vandermark was a good friend, for instance. Who was that? He was the first... No, I just, I didn't hear Jan the name. Jan Vandermark. He's at Dartmouth now. And it was very lively. And he came in conflict with, uh, with trustees. And uh, uh, he was, you know, had, he had to go. But he, he was very bright and, you know, um, used to go to his house, for instance, or they would come to our house. And uh, he's extremely bright, and uh, his wife's difficult to get along with, but we got along fine. And that's one of the things, again, a lot of artists 
they're, you know, really very good. Somehow, they're not the easiest people to get along with. Go back, you know, back to my original idea. Have you at all in the 10 years of the museum's existence put in any ideas for possibly photography taking on any major role there? Or I've been so busy with the Institute of Design that that's their stick. I've complained that they didn't get involved in photography, but they didn't get involved in very much at all on any level. I mean, it's been rather stupidly run. Well, there's reasons why it's called a contemptible. That's my phrase. I'm the only one that used that phrase. It's now spreading. See, everybody else was afraid to use the phrase. And we'll show you, as you watch in the next couple months, it may get widespread use. See, because it embodies the truth. It may disappear if this guy is any good. Mm -hmm. That was my attitude towards the way it was being run. It's, it's, I, it's interesting. I never known that, but I used to call it that all the time. Uh, I used to call you that. Heard, you heard it from me quite a long time ago. Perhaps, maybe. I, I don't I know remember. I did. Because I mean, like, I, I have little pet names that, like, well, I call Peter Bunnell, Peter Bunny. Please take that off the tape. That but, you never heard from me. And also Artemisia, called Amnesia. And I mean, I, I, mean, I tend to do that with institutions. Yeah, well, I think the, the contemptible is Arthur Seagulls. So. But if you want to. Oh, no, I, I'm, I don't I'm, need it. The light claim to it, it's all yours. No, the only one I'll take claim is Pope John. That's that's mine. Yeah, that's very good. Pope John in the Polish Vatican in New York. But I'll, I'll leave the contemptible for Arthur Siegel. Um, I'm aware that our IIT's library houses the thesis, the thesis, student graduate student thesis. Yeah. Okay, but they're not accessible to the public because of staff, I would think, and the thesis are not the pictures. Okay, the, the pictures, writing. the writing is available, but not the pictures. Yeah. Um, had you has it ever crossed your mind while you were at the ID to try to push many to have that times. into an archive to make it many, an archive? Yeah, many times, but that is my lifeblood is in those things. I will fight anybody that tries to get in them. I'll cut their fucking throats. You mean to touch until, the pictures? Yes, until such time as I get out myself. I would like to do a book on graduate photography and teaching. I mean, I have. Even when Aaron was there, I mean, I sweated, you know, I can't tell you the, my blood is in those things. You know, so that they're protected, not to become desecrated and stolen. Well, and they will be. There's no way of protecting. There's no manpower there to yeah. protect them. They're not, they're just there. And yeah, every time we've let somebody get in there, it's been a disaster. They've either wrecked them or stolen right. them. Yeah, it's not hurt. available, period. Unless it could become a major archive that where you'd have man staff and librarians and people. Well, around. that would come later, maybe. I'm not going to worry about that. I mean, it's the same reason why I did not tell McQuaid about it. I mean, I was certainly aware that McQuaid would love to put a paragraph about this resource. But if there's no public access, there's no point in listening. That's right. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I don't even want people to know it. Hmm. Because that is a pain in the ass, and everybody starts thinking they should have access to right. it. Mm -hmm. You know, they are specialists, or they are doing the history of photography in mm -hmm. Chicago, or they want to do uh, Ray Metzger's, and well, let them go to Ray Metzger. Right. That's Ray Metzger's problem. Yeah. Not the yeah. Actually, that was one of our criteria, really, that we would only include things where there was some kind of public access. It's very good. Because otherwise, right. 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 I mean, like Arnold Crane. He's, he's not public access. That's right. Arnold Crane is not a museum. Mm -mm. You know. On the other hand, the Logans, 
were willing to provide that information and willing to deal with any requests they got. The Logans so. were dying for publicity. So they're in there. And Arnold was getting his kicks from another kind of operation, the Logan Collection and the Crane Collection bear no comparison whatever. It's like, you know, the Gilbert Collection and the Logan, they're good friends, but that's like, uh, you know, a small collection, each one of them, very special kind of thing, whereas Cranes is a, you know, million dollar major collection. It's totally different. And Arnold has a full-time, you know, curator and can't deal with it. You know, it's just begun to even get it classified. Which will take years to do. Well, I don't know if it'll ever get classified with this girl, because Arnold does not push that particularly. It's a problem. I mean, you don't want to be available if you're not an institution. And why the hell should you suffer some student from you know, Indiana or Bloomington or someplace to, you know, call you up and say, well, I'm doing an essay or a thesis or something uh, on so-and-so, and I've heard you have some wonderful examples. Well, that's very nice. But unless you need the ego gratification, it's a waste of time. You waste three hours. Arnold Crane maybe gets $150 an hour for his time. Mm -hmm. Why should he put up with that crap? He has no interest in that. Every week I have students coming in just wanting to see me. I mean, I could spend all my time looking at pictures of students from other schools. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've heard that I have a good way of analyzing pictures or something. People come up from Arizona all the time in New Mexico. <laughs> and they are shocked, you know, when I occasionally do it because they're friends of a friend or something. And I tell them how terrible they are. Probably the best you know, thing you could do for them. I know, but that's very worrying. If I tell you, you know, that your pictures aren't very good and you come up thinking they're marvelous, that's very worrying on me. I mean, I'm not, that's not my role. They're not paying me anything. Lately, I've taken to demanding, as it were, a couple pictures. I mean, I think that they regard me in a better light. I learned this from, well, it's psychologically it's better if they feel they've given you something. Sure, I hear you. Okay. Um, I'm not a national public treasure. In that <laughs> and now the pressing of the money thing, I don't know what to do. Well, hopefully in terms of some requests, you'll be able to shunt a number of the most eager and serious people to, the, to this. That's why, so you know, I've hoped, you know, to put kind of a complete thing here, a good you know, pretty depthful kind of overall thing. It, it doesn't deal at all with my, you know, what makes me a really good teacher, you know, the, the minutiae of that. We talk, you know, I have yeah. some recordings. Well, all those other tapes will eventually uh, deal with that for right. at some point. But, but that's, that's the kind of me. You know, yeah. people come and they want to know what my program is. None of that goddamn business of my program. I sit up nights figuring out what's going to be my problem. You know, and it isn't just that problem I'm trying to think of in the light of, you know, the whole business. If they're my students, I have never held back anything in my teaching excepting one dumb thing. That was how I made the, the uh, illustrations for Marshall Fields uh, to illustrate the Carl Sandburg uh, uh, poem for one of their Christmas issues. And I keep asking them, I've shown it, 
by asking them to figure out how I did it photographically. Nobody's ever guessed. It's so damn simple. It boggles the mind. But I'm waiting for somebody to guess, then I'll tell them, yes, that's how I did it. I'll have to take a look at that. This is a minutiae detail. How many years older than Irene are you? That's a good question. Well, figure it out. Irene is 46 and I am 64. Right. I'll do it. Get your calculator yeah. out. <laughs> Got it. Well. This is just one more little okay, question and then we can sew this up. Do you think it's important to bring in guest speakers um, to your institution or for your teaching program to give students, you know, just a new point of view during the year, especially for graduate students, you know, per periodically, maybe every three months to bring in maybe somebody for two days or three days at a time to give a lecture, lecture series or workshops or just have like an artist in residence for a short period of time, somebody that might jolt them or rattle their cage or just be completely different from your point of view. Do you think that's important? I think it's important that photographers be educated and for my money it's too, what, what most of their education consists of is too close to photography so they remain essentially very limited kinds of people. I can see all kinds of people coming in and talking, like a Rauschenberg, you know, or somebody else. Uh, sure, it's marvelous to hear all kinds of points of view. And I've gone to the Columbia series, I've listened to them. Most of them was, were a waste of time. There wasn't anything that any intelligent person gained from there, particularly their students. Mm -hmm. I really didn't know what was going on in many of them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, I now that doesn't mean you see that if you brought a Beaumont Newhall in for a week and had graduate students already had been pumped full of information about the whole history of photography and discussed such meta questions as the history of photography. That is, what is the history of photography? How did it evolve? What are its biases? That would be terrific, because you can't do it. Beaumont has thought about these problems sure. for innumerable years. But to bring in somebody, you see, Circle brought in Robert Frank, and he went around telling everybody how marvelous they were. Hmm. Well, then the teachers are left with all these students who are really incompetent. But Arnold, uh, you know, uh, Robert, Robert Frank, you know, has told them they're wonderful. So they're left with the problem of picking up the pieces, which is very, or Gary Winograd. Gary, you know, very powerful guy. On the one hand, on a very short basis, he confuses students. On a longer term basis, he convinces them all that there's only one way of making a picture. Is that good? It's good if you have 10 people like Gary, all powerful, all with different points of view. There are various aspects. Uh, would it be good to go to Nathan's place for a workshop, you know, in the summer? Well, if you're interested in certain kinds of mechanical things or technical things, you might pick up in two weeks what you'd have to discover by yourself over a long period of time. Wonderful. Same thing's true of Antel Adams, uh, you know, workshops on zone systems. Uh, the trouble is, when you look at everybody that went to zone systems, that was workshops, they all look like Ansel Adams. Something is wrong. Now that's widened up lately too, because there are other people teaching, right. like Barbara Crane or 
you know, Heineken, I guess, or somebody like that. Um, generally speaking, I think most workshops are rackets. People come in, get a high buck, and uh, say flattering things and are taken care of, and you know they're highly regarded and deified, and you know everybody sits around hanging on every word. But in actual terms, the only thing I know about the teaching of photography is that it's exactly like the teaching of anything important, and it's so slow. It has to do with the changing of the unconscious. I'm talking about creative photographers now, which occurs so slowly that it is best done with close contact with a group of people or a single person over a long period of time, and then things can happen. And directed, see, just like analysis itself, it's very similar to it. And one of the things that, you know, you keep hearing, I'm hardly making it up, but the whole Art Institute is very unstructured. See, it's like a smorgasbord. Everybody takes stereography or generative photography, you know, or whatever the hell it is. Uh, and a very important person there was Harold Allen, for instance, who was very conservative, but they did learn how to make pictures in a classical tradition. The other people are very oriented towards rather fad-like art ideas. Chicago funk is there. Well, Chicago funk, but New York, other things, minimalist, pop art, conceptualist. Whatever the art form printed last week, last month, you'll find it at the Art Institute. That's <laughs> a good way of putting later. it. That's a good way of putting it. Um, it's the, sort of the Bible, or was the Bible, of those who didn't think very much but wanted to be new. Well, the way you become new is by working the old veins until they become new. I think you've answered it. I think I understand well, how, you know. So nothing is really wasted. Sure, it'd be marvelous to have everybody there. And I would like to add further that uh, there isn't a good school in the world in my view, you know, an ideal school. That's yet to come. That'll probably be the next generation. Because, for one thing, you never have the historians that you need. You're talking in not a good school for photography? For or? teaching photography mm -hmm. on the kind of basis that you've learned to become a chemist or a doctor. Mm -hmm. It hasn't reached that level of professionalism. Mm -hmm. And I think that that will, that there will be schools where you'll have terrific technicians, if necessary, scientific background, like how really to measure, like RIT has right. a high level of technology and a low level of picture making. I mean, their pictures are dreadful. Uh, they're constipated. Um, well, they don't deal with the unconscious there. They deal with formulas, you see, the commercial formulas in the main. I would think a creative photographer that was sensitive would find it difficult to teach there in that environment. Because what they're doing is training, and they do a magnificent job, of people who run these large photographic enterprises. And they have to have a high order of technological ability and understanding, and they do it beautifully. But that's a different kind of thing than turning out a photographer. I mean, if you put Ari in there, he'd go crazy in one day. So would well, so would Paul Kaepernick, everybody go crazy there. Everybody that you hold in high regard would go crazy there. Um, Could be a test <laughs> for whether they're really good. You put them there and they go crazy one day. Yeah, they are the ones who see they keep putting out books now. 
like uh, on sensitometry and that kind of right. thing. And that they are the living proof, you see, that it is not technique. See, they separate technique. That's what I was talking about, Columbia. Now, Columbia thinks it's all right because they teach a course in, in the aesthetics that goes with the thing. But for my money, I think it's an artificial split. Well, I mean, you would have to see the outline. I, I think David has worked out pretty well. You know, David does not try to exploit technique for the sake of technique, even though he's got a good hold on it. I, it's pretty well integrated. Well, fine. I'm sure, you know, anybody can teach anyway and can be good, no matter what it is. And certainly, um, and yet even David, you see, had great technical deficiencies that had to be overcome when he was a student, which he was not aware of, but somebody had to look at his things and point them out to him. But that wasn't the problem with him. I mean, it was to make pictures. Um, it's, uh, well, this ideal school. Uh, it's, it's someday there will be a place which will be a whole range of things. Scientific. New kind of electronics. I mean, the photographer of the future will be very familiar with at least the hardware. Uh, he'll also be a well-trained person. I mean, he'll know something about literature, history, politics, and whatnot. There will always be dopey photographers who will make pictures in spite of the fact they don't know nothing. They may be great. But the kind of thing that is evolving at, say, University of New Mexico, uh, where I think, you know, you have uh, a slight picture of a different kind of thing. They have a good museum, guy that's interested, you know, teaching resources. Um, Nathan's another kind where you have great interest you know, in cultural effects of photography. The Institute of Design where you have a tremendous emphasis on making pictures and, uh, and integrating history and other things into picture making. Uh, that, you know, is of the future. So there really isn't a good place. Uh, Columbia College can't make it because they have such dopey students. Well, I think it's beyond the dopey students. I think that Columbia has not set down what they're what they're trying to do. I don't think they know what, what they're trying to do with the program. I think right up to for a long time, there's been a lot of ego massaging going on at Columbia. And I think until you ultimately decide what your goal is and thrust of the program, and I, I'm talking to inside. Look at the, I looked at it once. It was had a long way to go. Well, I know that's been my problem always. <laughs> it goes very rapidly that last. Yeah, once it gets off zero, it <laughs> accelerates. Okay. What I'm saying is I, I personally think that they're going to have to decide what they are, why they are, and where they want to go with this program, which I don't think is. I mean, just from my own conversations with faculty and then what David brings home, being one of the oldest faculty members there. I think it's a really ill-defined place, and I think there's, until you get beyond the ego and self-gratification of the individual faculty members, I don't think, you know, it's going to be a place. Well, well, we can do it all again next week, and it'll all be different. Of course. <laughs> Where? What were the notes we were asking? Oh, well, okay. Uh, what time is this for? Yeah. Uh, the um, part four, November six, six, nineteen seventy-seven, oral history, part four of this day. That is. I think the main um, thing were things we were just going to look at. You, you referred to something, some albums, some... Oh, yeah. Are these like snapshot albums? Yeah. No, they're... 
And do you refer to European pictures? Oh yeah, that look upstairs. Those are color prints. Make a note that this is Cyril's studio announcement. It was at 2340 West Davison in Detroit. It's an exhibition sale, Arthur Siegel Photographs and Photograms, February 29th to March 13th, 1948. Magic. Yeah, now this is a this is a, a film series that says Spring 1954, comedy in the film. Now you mentioned this. Absolutely. And it says the program is under the direction of the well-known photographer Arthur Siegel, Institute of Design, IIT. And uh, this is $10. Now, now spring when? 54. 54. Is that what that is you're looking at? No. What's I that? I think so. Well, this is September and October. It's a fall or something. Does it say at the top of the page in the heading there? Oh, dumb typist. Well, this one's got Max Sennett, Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, well, that's what I was talking about. The General. It's very different from this. The Italian straw hat, duck soup. Mm -hmm. huh. A chump at Oxford with Laurel and Hardy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was very different. And a sort of other ones. What is what is this one? Does it not not give the uh, sudden year? Well, it says it's a fall. Gives the dates of the day. Oh yeah. Well, let's see. 632 North Dearborn Street, which would be... Any one of those years, yeah. 250, well... Another direction probably of with Arthur Siegel. Somewhere before 50. What was the other one? 54. 54. Hmm. This is a copy of the same thing. This is the classic film series. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Huh. Well, now, we see this could be figured out, because it says on it here... This one that isn't dated. These films will be shown on Wednesdays, September 22nd through January 12th. So with a historian's calendar, you could figure out... That's right. There's a limited number of years it can be and when no, the Wednesdays right, fell on that right. day. Mm -hmm. That could be... So that's a classic film series with intolerance, greed, variety. See, the point of that is there were no film courses around. Anna Christie, mm -hmm. Potemkin, Camille, Metropolis. I would have up to 400 people coming. And then people. There's one here labeled Spring of 53, and it says, A brief introduction before the showing of each film and a more thorough analysis upon com completion of the film will be held by Thalia Sells. Thalia Sells, right. I, I talked to her, and that was Pete Sells' wife. They're divorced now. I talked to her about Pete. He, he was teaching at the school. Irene and June Leaf studied with him. And... Uh, she did wife it. wanted to do something, and so I encouraged her to do that because, mm -hmm. for some reason, I didn't want to do it that do year. It that year, whatever. Oh, I really know. Now this is a paper yeah. that appears to be Danish, probably. Well, this was an interview by, with me in that summer of 54 when I'm staying at Elsa's house. At a yeah, it says Copenhagen here. Right. Arthur Siegel, something, 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 something. Well, it was sounded that I got paid... Uh, 14,000 kroner. Yeah, $2,000 for the cover picture of Lay's Home Journal because their monthly salary, the guy that photographed me, was something like 70 or $80. Here's yeah. a picture of you, a famous visiting photographer. Yeah, it just shows propaganda, you see. So that's in Danish. That would be wonderful to have. <laughs> Translation of that will take a while.
Well, I should put it in this way so you can see mm. see your smiling face. Mm. You know my hair is strong out from being a therapist. It's way down. <laughs> he doesn't notice it because he didn't know I had any hair. Yeah, my father's been bald for years. Now this is you uh, probably in Europe also. Mm. Trusty lichen in here. Some more photos. They probably are labeled on the back. No, no probably not. What photographer Oh, this says Detroit. Clarence yeah. P. Schmidt. That's somebody just... Oh, I gave a lecture us. there at some camera club, maybe. Well, here, this is in with it. This says... Contacts camera. I thought that was a contacts camera. Early 50s. This is, I didn't get my like until I went to Europe in 54. And then, believe it or not, it was one of the few Leicas ever made that had a cockeyed, slightly cockeyed viewfinder. <laughs> all of my lining up of it. Now there's one right, of the one, negatives. That's right. Of that. <laughs> yeah. That one with the tree. There's a there's a double there's a montage uh, two negatives that has this. Oh right, right. Figure on the wall. That's right. You showed that yesterday. Yeah. That's the right. print is at Eastman House, and this is the other hand. What's it say? Nothing. But that was shot in uh, very early. Uh, you know, in the late forties. And this is a tear sheet from light from yeah, time. Yeah, there's Ben Heinemann. There's a pr various pictures you've done. Yeah, that comes from my Patland. And uh, this is a one of Jack Cake's advertisements. Throwaways. Hmm. Oh yeah, this this shows Jack Cape's and Associates. No, I think there's one there. Jack Dad, but no, may have designed. Yeah, he probably designed this, and it's one more hat added to all these people who work for him, including mm -hmm. Arthur Siegel. Mm -hmm. Who he represents. Hmm. And Capes is probably, you know, one of the top agents in the city. Yeah, he seemed to have a lot of... Gee, you know, that's the one who called me the other night. Yeah, while well, we were talking, he remembered the name of the... What's his name? Uh, Ron Hilbert or whoever. Yeah, Robert Hilbert. Robert Hilbert. Bob Hilbert. Well, we certainly get older, don't we? Well, that's a school maybe within the past year or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, that, I understand that. Eastman House. Yeah, but that was the SPE meeting. Oh, this was during that, while the picture was being made? This the thing, yeah. Right. But this is Swedland's picture, probably, huh? Is this Andy Eskin? No, that's Andy Eskin. This is... It's Carl Cole. Carl Cole. And this is the guy, Tom Pratt. Right. And this is Dale Corman. These are all my, these were students of mine. They gather on. Now, where, who is the woman that's behind that bears her breast? We don't see her here. Which I've never seen the picture of. Well, you haven't. Yeah. I'll try to dig out the old uh, SPE journal and make a copy for them. Oh, they printed it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was on the cover once. Sure. Is there some correspondence to you? Oh, God, who would write me? Yale University Art Gallery? Oh, yeah, I was in that uh, Innovators and Inventors, Inventors and Innovators. The color show. Yeah, the color show. Right, I just looked at the catalog this summer. Yeah. Here's yeah, the loan agreement. Fun. So the thing, you know, there's nothing, it's all mixed up. Yeah, and this is reply, and that's uh, when the Robert Frank book first came out in English. If you look at uh, at the time, it, it was roundly attacked editorially by Bruce Downs, 
primarily. Bruce Downs, yeah. Downs communication. And I defended it. You know, that was a real another look at and really a continuation of armed security. But they were very gung ho after the war, you see. They thought it was a real attack. Yeah. Did you did you write write actually write a letter or did you just no, defend it to your students? You mean? No, we actually had an argument. Oh you and Bruce Downs. Yeah. Uh, huh. Yeah, jerk. Well, they had a very family of man kind of view from what right, I can tell. He did. And incidentally, speaking of family of man, uh, the Ford Motor Company hired me. They were the first ones, or one of the first ones, to have a family of man after it left New York. And they hired me to talk to their executives about it, where I roundly attacked it as mm -hmm. being bad sociology. And, you know, did they know you were going to attack it when they no, hired you? No, they allowed me to say what I wanted to. And to this day, I think it's a, you know, quite the phony thing, because it, the central thing is that he makes the mistake that images are reality. <laughs>